1: Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in New York City. Uh, Very happy to be bringing you another episode. I want to thank you guys first off for all of the wonderful feedback on last week's episode. If you haven't heard it yet, I got to have a nice conversation with the one and only Joe Stapleton, who is someone that I have been following for, uh, basically most of my life. (laughs) If you go all the way back to the early days of podcasting, Joe is one of the original poker podcasters through his relationship with Joe Seabach, Barry Greenstein, Gavin Smith, Ali Najad, and everyone else that was involved in kind of the original poker podcast, uh, which was called Poker Road Radio. Um, I'm a huge fan of his We've Become Friends through stand-up comedy and even had a chance to do some co-commentating on the PCA main event last year uh, because it coincided with a gig that we had performing with Norm McDonald in the Bahamas. So uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, please go back and hear it. I think it's one of our best. There's some good poker strategy, but there's also uh, just kind of a good... Conversation about poker and life and getting after your dreams and all of that kind of stuff, which I think most of us tournament poker players, let's be honest, we are dreamers. <laughs> right? I mean, how else are you playing a game where you have probably a 90% chance of losing most of the times when you play, unless you're playing the World Series where they pay 15% instead of 10% in which case you likely have an 85% chance of losing. Uh, Yeah, obviously we are dreamers who want to uh, see something wonderful happen and are willing to risk big bucks in doing that. So I think it kind of goes to the mentality of a poker player or a professional comedian hoping to catch a big break. Uh, There are a lot of parallels between my two worlds and Joe Stapleton is right in the middle of both of them. So uh, thank you guys for your wonderful remarks on that episode, and as always, thank you for listening to, as well as subscribing to, rating, and reviewing the podcast. Um, Today I want to talk a little bit more about day three of the World Series of Poker main event, specifically a few hands I played this year on day three, um... I don't want any spoilers about what kinds of hands they are, but I think that you guys will find they are the kind of hands we can really all sink our teeth into together. Before I get to that, I had a request, actually, uh, from someone on Twitter, and I'm sorry that... Actually, let me go find his name, because it's worth it. There it is, Twitter user Alan Pike from the United Kingdom. Asked for an update on the baseball bet. (laughs) I guess it's been a few weeks since I've talked about it because I actually have always thought that no one cares about the baseball bet except for those who are directly involved. And here I get this lovely uh, tweet from uh, one of our listeners from England who says and openly admits that he doesn't even understand baseball, but he was interested to see how this bet was going. Um, So, just a quick recap. Before baseball season started, we, uh, David Tuckman, another poker broadcaster, and I talked about, uh, we made a bet on how many games the Baltimore Orioles would win in this season. Now, in baseball, they play 162 games per year, and the over under on the Orioles was 58 and a half. Um, and a historic number, the lowest over-under number ever put out preseason uh, for any baseball team in the history of sports betting. So, naturally, I took the over, and Mr. Tuckman made a large bet with me. At the same time, he made a, a similar bet, but much smaller, much smaller in terms of dollar amount. With the, one of the most famous poker broadcasters, Norman Chad. We all know Norman Chad from his many, many years as the color commentator, uh, comic relief portion of the ESPN broadcast of the World Series of Poker. Uh, he and Mr. Tuckman made a very small bet. As we know, Norman Chad has been talking trash about this bet since its inception where I have been mostly quiet. (laughs) Because when I have a lot of money on the line, I don't like to do anything to jinx it. And also, uh, we bet an amount that is probably going to cause a small amount of pain to the loser. And I didn't want to be uh, uh, unsportsmanlike, I guess. So that's why I didn't talk trash in the beginning. The reason I haven't talked trash in the end, as baseball season is drawing to a close, is because the bet is not going well at all. At the time of this recording, there are 18 games remaining in the baseball season. They've played 144, and uh, there are 162 total. So with 18 more games uh, left to play, the Orioles have won 47 games, which means... They need to go 12 and 6 the rest of the way. There has only been one occurrence this entire season where the Orioles had a 500 record (laughs) over an 18 game stretch, which would be 9 and 9. So we need them to do something they haven't done all year right here at the end of the season. With nothing to play for and zero chance of making the playoffs, uh, and that's go twelve and six. I'd put the percentage chance. I'm basically drawing dead. I'd say there's about a two to three percent chance right now that I will win this bet. Um, I noticed that a few weeks ago, Tuckman offered Norman Chad the uh, buyout, where uh, instead of you know giving this much money back or something, he said that. I think it was Norman could get David Tuckman's name tattooed on his butt or something like that. They had some kind of silly uh, buyout offer. But of course, Norman Chad stuck to his guns. Um, You know, the amount of money that I have at risk right now, uh, I might have considered getting that tattoo. (laughs) I'm exaggerating a little bit, guys. Please don't feel bad for me. But uh, it's almost over. And it's looking like Tuck on Sports will come out victorious. Now, as my friend Jamie Kerstetter said on David Tuckman's wonderful podcast, Under the Gun, why would anyone make a sports bet against David Tuckman? The word sports is in his Twitter handle. Uh, And yes, Mr. Tuckman does know a lot about sports, but I just thought that I was on the right side of this one. And maybe I was, you know, as we know from poker, many times you make a good bet that doesn't pan out, uh, whatever I'm preparing to pay up and I will do so with a smile on my face. I will try to be as gracious in loss as I am in victory, (laughs) but, uh, it's all in fun anyway. Uh, so that's where that stands. And in a few weeks time, we should have a full update. A final update on that uh, saga of a baseball bet with such a long season. It's been kind of fun. It made it much more interesting to follow the Orioles this year than it otherwise would have been. And it looks like, unless a miracle happens in the next 18 days, uh, I will be shelling out a large sum of money for the entertainment value that I bought. <laughs> anyway, enough about that. Let's get to. Some hands from the main event. Okay, it's day three of the main event, something like July 8th, I guess, 2019. Uh, just to refresh your memory, I began day three with a top 100 chip stack, something like 403,000 when the average stack was under 200,000. On day three, um, I was sitting pretty with a mountain of chips and then had. Uh, I got moved around a lot. There were eight tables, I think, maybe nine, that I played all in the same day. They just kept moving me. And so I never really felt like I got a foothold. I was happy to be moved away from some of these tables. Uh, there were some pretty tough ones in there, uh, like including the one we talked about last time. We reviewed my main event where I had J.C. Tran, Shane Schlager, and the vicious Molly Ann Mossy. Uh, all at my table, and there we discussed a hand a few weeks ago wherein Molly took a good chunk of my uh, chip stack. Um, so, yeah, I've been moving around, and where we left off, I had about 200,000. So, very early on day three, my 403 quickly dwindled down to actually under 100,000, which was kind of uh, the most unexpected and precipitous drop which basically resulted from having a lot of big hands and none of them holding up like flopping a jack with a jack and it not being any good or having pocket kings on a nine high flop you've all been there we've all been there I basically had a lot of big hands and ran bad with those big hands which cost me three quarters of my stack all told and well there was actually one Uh, medium-sized bluff that didn't work in there as well for good measure. So I wasn't running well on my uh, value bets nor on my bluffs. And then I built it all the way back up to 340000 I think, Uh, still short of the proverbial all-time high that some of you make fun of me for pointing out uh, when I'm playing in a tournament and my Twitter informs everyone of when my stack is at an all-time high. And then in the hand I want to start on today, uh, we have about 280,000. So we're in fine shape. Our stack is uh, a a little bit above average. And uh, let's see. We have about, I want to say, 1,700 players left. Whatever the number that got paid was this was about 200 more than that. So we're about 200 away from the money. They had told us early on day three that we would not reach the money on day three and that it was likely that we'd reach it on day four. And then because of the new structure, you know, this year they changed the structure a lot. They added more chips, but also changed some of the levels Uh, Etc. So it's always an estimate of exactly when the money will be reached. Many people thought it wouldn't be till day four. It turned out that they ended up reaching the money at the end of day three. So we are about midway through day three when this hand comes up. Uh, I'm at my fifth table of the day. The blinds are 2,500 and 5,000 with a 5,000 big blind ante. So that's twelve thousand five hundred in the pot, and we have two hundred eighty thousand. So we've got an M of something like twenty three ish, and we have just under sixty big blinds, uh, if you prefer. So uh, I've been at this table for about half an hour. It's a fairly comfortable table uh most of the players at my table are playing in a way that i'm comfortable attacking um there are no notable killers at my table uh in this hand they all folded to me in the small blind which is the second time this has happened at this table in the other hand uh i raised it up and my opponent folded so let's talk about my opponent since we know in this hand i'll have only one. Uh, he is a player from Europe. I think he's French. He has a hat on that says Poker Code. He's pretty nerdy, um, young, maybe 25 to 27 years old. Uh, he's been fairly loose, as most French players tend to be. Um, I expect him to probably over defend his big blind even though in the other hand when i raised it i took it but i think with that dynamic that happened maybe 20 minutes ago maybe 30 minutes ago the last time i raised from the small blind when it was folded to me so i opened for a raise and he folded so this time it folds to me again and oh by the way he's got me covered he's got like in the neighborhood of 350,000 and we have 280 so it's folded to me in the small blind with King eight off suit, the King of spades and eight of hearts. Uh, I don't have a problem with raising here. Um, I'm probably not going to raise and take it again. I'll end up playing an inflated pot from out of position against a Euro who's fairly loose and fairly aggressive. Um, and pretty much need to hit a king or an eight to continue post-flop. So uh, that's why I chose to limp in. The plan is to limp and probably fold if if our opponent raises. Uh, you might think that's pretty weak tight of me to go ahead and limp in, play weak, and then fold a hand as strong as king high, heads up against the big blind. But my mentality is... If I can avoid playing out of position, I'm willing to give up a little bit of EV just to play a smaller pot in that way. So my approach to this hand was I limped in and I might as well have had 10 deuce or something because if he had raised at all, I was probably just going to lay my hand down unless I got some kind of read that he wasn't strong. Um, He chose to check back. So already I think pre-flop is a fairly debatable decision by me because now we're going to still be playing from out of position with king high and in all likelihood we'll get outplayed a lot just by virtue of the fact that we're out of position. So my hand is too strong to fold. Obviously you don't fold king high in the small blind when it's folded to you. Um, Even against a tough opponent. the big blind you have to have a strategy for playing pretty much king x regardless of what that x is suited or not so with folding out of the question it's just a matter of do i want to try to steal his big blind again um which i again i don't think i had much chance of doing or do i want to play a big pot with this hand against this opponent and i guess that's why i decided to try to just keep the pot small I didn't mind him checking behind. I felt like unless I flop strong, I'm probably just going to check and fold on the flop. And then I just lost an extra 5,000 in this pot. No big deal. Uh, sorry, I lost an extra 2,500 in this pot. Definitely no big deal when you have 280,000. Uh, and part of my mentality in my approach to playing the main event, and I've I've played in the main event nine times, and I've cashed in it twice um, before this year. I'm talking about before this year. And the two times I cashed, I finished in the top 100. So I kind of have an all or nothing, uh, at least you know, from that small sample size with my results. I either didn't make it into the money or I got very, very deep into the money. Uh, so part of my approach to this particular tournament is... I don't try to get every single chip of EV that I can. Um, The spot has to be really good for me to take the variance. Well, I I wouldn't say the spot has to be really good. I definitely take spots that other players won't. Uh, But for me, I like to do that on my terms, not with a random hand in the small blind against an opponent that I think is going to outplay me a lot. So in these situations, I'd rather just go ahead and play a small pot or call and then let him bet me off of it. So I'd love to hear what you guys think of my pre-flop strategy and the rationale behind it. Uh, I was thrilled when my opponent checked and I got to see a flop. And the flop was a good one. Eight, seven tray with two diamonds, eight of diamonds, seven of diamonds, seven of, eight of diamonds, seven of diamonds, 3 of clubs. So with 15,000 in the pot and 280,000 behind, I have top pair with a king kicker. Uh I, I obviously it's it's fine to bet here. But first of all, we need to evaluate this hand correctly. Generally speaking, I have a monster. I have top pair with second kicker on a board that there are many, many hands with which my opponent can continue. Uh, he can call with any flush draw, any gut shot, um, any piece of the board. Like if he has something like five, three and he hit bottom pair, he's got he's gotta call one bet. Uh, obviously any seven. There are gut shots, flush draws, and pairs that he can call with. Uh, Actually, I think the solver would even say that in this situation, he should even call with certain two-over card hands, like queen nine, um, if I bet. So given all that, there's a strong case to be made for just firing a healthy bet into this 15K pot. Um, I need to mix up my play. So I checked here and I was hoping that my opponent would put a little bet out there so that I could check raise him. The reason for this is balance. Um, I would like to be able to check raise with a lot of flush draws and straight draws. The, The types of hands I said my opponent could call a bet with are the hands that I would like to be able to check raise. So if I'm going to do that, then I need to, especially against a decent to good opponent as this one seems to be i need to have some non-draws in my check raising range Uh, i think many players would check raise with a flush draw here but not enough of us are check raising with one pair type hands here and i think if you're going to put some one pair hands into your flop check raising range they should be the best one pair hands that we have like when i limp in With pocket aces, hoping to get raised so that I can three bet pre-flop. This would be a great spot to check raise, hoping that my opponent actually has an eight here or a a draw strong enough to continue to the check raise. Uh, So that was my plan. It's also not the end of the world if he checks behind because now my hand strength is disguised and I might get more action from worse on the turn. So with all that in mind, I checked, I was happy to see him put out a a 7,000 bet into the 15,000 pot, so basically half the pot, and I check raised to 20,000, fully expecting to win the pot pretty often, but also knowing that there are certain draws with which my opponent should continue, either with a three bet or more likely a call. Now, very few players wanna play a really huge pot without a monster this close to the money. In the main event, with about 200 players left uh, until we hit the money, many players tighten up a lot more than they should. I've talked about in previous episodes my strategy for exploiting those players uh, just by barreling them to death and knowing that they're probably not going to continue unless they have a monster, which they probably don't, right? Right. So with all that, I choose to check raise here and expect my opponent to usually fold. But when, even when he calls, I think that king eight is good almost always. So I don't mind if he calls. So I put in 20,000, which is not a big raise, but it's not trivial either. Uh, he bets 7,000, it's almost three X. And he called rather quickly. So I don't mind that. I think that he should be doing this with uh, something like a seven with a high diamond, like a queen seven with a queen of diamonds. Uh, So middle pair with a backdoor flush draw and an overcard. Like these kind of hands should call. Um, Maybe not should call, but it should at least call some of the time, especially if he has a pair. Because usually, again, usually when I check raise on this board, I'm going to have a draw myself. This particular check raise is designed to protect those draws from exploitation. So he calls and I don't mind at all. Now with 65 K in the pot, the turn comes the Jack of hearts. Okay. Not my favorite card because it does complete the 10, nine which is certainly in my opponent's range for betting and calling on the flop. Um, I suppose it's possible he could also have a hand like Jack-10, especially if one of his cards is a heart. I mean, a diamond, rather. Remember, it's eight of diamonds, seven of diamonds, tray of clubs on the flop. So he could bet and call with something like Jack-10 with the Jack of Diamonds for the two over cards. Got shot to the nuts backdoor diamonds like with a lot going on Especially given my sizing It's probably correct for him to call with those kind of hands a lot Other than that, I don't really see how this jack could help him like yeah Sure, if he has 10 9 it gave him the nuts or if he had Something like a two over card hand like a jack 10 type of hand So overall even though the jack is not my favorite card I still think it's a good card and I still think I need to continue trying to get value for what has now become second pair. Now, you guys who don't play a lot of heads up or don't find yourself in heads up situations a lot, uh, king eight on an eight high flop, heads up against a big blind who just checked, is a monster. It's a very big hand. It's not actually a monster, but it's a very big hand. The jack doesn't really do that much to change that. I mean, maybe he got lucky and hit his jack now, but probably I'm still good most of the time. And more importantly, I can still continue to get value if my opponent has an eight. He's not going to fold if I bet again. If my opponent has a seven, he should probably call again. If my opponent has something like seven, nine, he now has a gut shot. Eight, nine, I'm also beating with a gut shot. Uh, So there is enough going on here that I think that I have another value bet situation. So I'm contradicting myself and I'm aware of that because I said earlier that I don't like to take high variance spots unless I think that I have a big advantage. I looked at this as such a spot because I think that in the long run, my king eight is going to be good as gold even after that jack hits the turn. So, I bet for value, not wanting to let my opponent see the river for free. I don't want to check and let him get there, especially because the jack does improve a lot of draws. So, I'm happy to bet, and I'm happy to get action. How much to bet? Well, there's 65,000 in the pot. I want to make a bet that he can call with worse. So I think a little half, little less than half the pot feels right. I put in 25,500 and my opponent considered it rather carefully for about 45 seconds and then called. So things are a little dicey, but I was still feeling relatively confident that my hand was good. The river is the deuce of spades. For a final board of 8, 7, Trey, Jack, Deuce, with no flush. So now do we check and let him bluff with his misdraws? I, I think if we check, the plan needs to be to call most bets. Uh, maybe you could make a case for folding a really healthy bet. But I feel like checking and, and bluff catching with this hand is... is the way to go. I think checking and folding is just too nitty. Blind versus blind, I think king eight is good at least 70% of the time, even when our opponent bets. And the reason for that, guys, is I think a lot of his river bets, when we check, will be with missed draws. The disadvantage to that play is that when we check, we allow him to check and show down, a worse hand than King Eight that would have called a river bet. So this is a spot where do I try to maximize the value of King Eight, or do I want to control those sides of the pot and maybe give my opponent a chance to bluff with a hand that can't call something like two diamonds with no pair? Um it's pretty close. I went for the value bet. I think it's a good play. I think that my opponent should call with any 8, any 7, possibly even a 3. When I can beat all of those hands except for ace 8. I feel like there are so many hands that will call me at least some of the time, especially if I give them a good price, that I think we have a three streets of value situation. Again, virtually a random hand against truly a random hand uh, pre-flop that has now kind of defined itself a little bit through the betting on the flop and on 4th Street. So, checking things out, I decide there's 116,000 in the pot. I put in a a bet that I thought would entice him to call me with worse, and that bet was 45K. I think I can get value again from 8s, from 7s, possibly some other pairs. And... My opponent called rather quickly, and I turned over my king eight with some degree of pride, and my opponent turned over jack of spades, nine of clubs. Now, so he won the hand with top pair of jacks. Uh, pretty ugly. I mean, had I, you know, results-oriented. Had I checked the river, my opponent would very likely have value bet larger than 45k, and I probably would have had to call. With second pair king kicker, uh, so in that sense, I saved money on my river bet. But that's not why I made that bet. <laughs> I made that bet to try to get paid by worse, not to get paid by better. So uh, that was a disappointing hand. It cost me about eighty-five thousand. I guess is is the amount that it cost me. So uh, it took me from two eighty down to one ninety-five, which is unfortunate. Um, but let's talk about it. Uh, do, do you guys like my decision to go for uh, thin value in this spot? I mean, obviously it's not thin value on the flop. The flop check raise is a thing of beauty. I was actually surprised my opponent called the flop check raise with this hand. Jack nine with no diamonds is just basically two over cards and a gut shot. And I would have thought that most players would give up. Uh, given that he doesn't have uh, the flush possibility. Uh, It worked out for him. I don't think he played his hand poorly, but I was a little surprised to see that hand in his range for calling my check raise on the flop. Okay, so here's one more hand from day three. The same level, but the level is almost over, and things have not gone Well, in the last hour or so. Remember, there's two hour levels in the main event. So we're still at the 2,500, 5,000 with 5,000 big blind ante level. We're now about 80 or 90 players off the money. Uh, It's hard to say because they're trying to update the scoreboard, as it were, but they can't exactly keep up. Minute by minute with each and every bust out, but we're getting pretty close. Um, I would say that at this time, at that time, my uh estimation was that we would reach the money within maybe the next 90 minutes, like sometime during the next level. So, this level's about to end. Hero has 76,500 in the stack and the blinds are still 25 5 5 so we've got an m of six and a half you could also say that we have uh 15 big blinds so no matter how you look at it we're getting pretty short here and the blinds are about to go up the next level is only three thousand six thousand six thousand so it's not like the blinds are about to double But our M is about to change from 6.5 to 5, which is a pretty significant change. Anyway, um, a lot of players are tightening up. And a few of my opponents have decided to take advantage of the situation, as I am prone to do on any bubble of any tournament. But this this particular tournament, uh, you really do want to be a bubble abuser one such player is on the button he has raised in the last 20 minutes literally every time it's folded to him so i would say that his opening range on the button is about 100 percent of his hands i don't really think that he would fold anything um, even seven deuce, I think he would open for the minimum, knowing that players tend to be too tight on the bubble. And so it's folded to him on the button. And this player I'm describing opens to twelve thousand five hundred with about two hundred and fifty thousand behind. He's been extremely loose aggressive. I think he's Israeli, um, from somewhere around Israel, like that kind of part of the world there. Um He's been basically going off since people started to feel the bubble effects. Uh, small blind folds, and the action is on me with the ace of clubs and five of hearts. Uh, I think there's only one way to play this hand, and that's all in. So you guys can disagree with me if you want. You could say that it's more important for me to fold for the next 90 minutes and try to get into the money, make sure that I cash in this tournament. You know, Playing for three days and not making it into the money would be a disaster. Uh, You could say that just because this guy has raised every time it's been folded to him doesn't mean he doesn't have a hand this time. Uh, You'd be right about that. Like, he could easily have ace five beaten. But, you know, I'm a numbers guy. And if he's opening 100% of his hands, ace five is definitely better than that range on average. So, is it worth it for me to shove here? Should I call and try to flop a pair? Well, I think that's a bad strategy because uh, I have to put in another 7,500 to see the flop. And I only start the hand with 76,500. So just to call this raise cost me 10% of my stack. And then I'm usually going to miss. And then what am I supposed to do? Check and fold? Uh, I don't know. You could try some sort of stop and go. Like just call now and then shove every flop. And then you can blow him off of hands like Ace-King or Ace-Queen if he misses the flop. I guess that's a viable strategy. I'm not a huge fan of the play, um, but I can see spots where it could work. Uh, Yeah, he would certainly give a lot more respect to a flop bet uh, than he might to my pre-flop shove if he has any type of hand. But, you know, it's, it's not an insignificant sum for him. He's put in 12500 It would cost him another 64000 of his 250000 So against a player that starts with like a million chips, uh, shoving $76,000, you are pretty much going to get called by any reasonable hand. But because my stack is about a third of his stack, a little less, but yeah, close to a third of his stack, I think that it, it should give him... A reason for concern. A reason to just take a step back and say, you know, suppose like if he's opening here with like eight six, right? Does he really want to call sixty two thousand more with eight six? I don't think so. So, uh, all things considered, I, I, you know, another thing we haven't discussed is could I three bet to another amount that's not a full all in shove? And I think that that's that's just putting your stack in no man's land. It's going to be at least a third of my stack if I do that. That's already in the middle with ace-five offsuit. It's just not a good spot to be in. I think the play here is to shove. And so that's what I did. And my opponent thought about it for quite a while. Almost two minutes before finally calling with uh, queen-ten suited. Which, you know, look... You could say this is bad because now if he just hits a queen or a 10, I'm probably going to be out of the main event, which really hurts. Look, from somebody who's busted in on, you know on day one before and someone who's busted on day seven before, whenever you bust out of the main event, it hurts, okay? So you can't play tournament poker with the mindset of pain prevention <laughs> or pain minimization. You've just got to make good plays, and in the long run, making good plays is how you make money in poker. So I got it all in with the best hand and lost the pot. Uh, afterwards, naturally, I started to consider whether it would have made sense to lock up the cash, you know, try to make sure I got at least into the money with only 80 players left until we got into the money, Should I fold? Uh, And, you know, the more I think about it, the more I realize that that's just not me. I'm sure there's someone out there with ICM considerations, knowing that with a 76,000 stack at this stage of the tournament, uh, my chances of making the final table of this tournament are so small. My stack is like 25% of the average stack and probably less than... Ten percent of the biggest stack, maybe even less than five percent of the biggest stack remaining in the t- in the field. So, with all of that in mind, it, it's silly to think about, you know, me shooting for the nine million dollar first place prize or whatever it was this year. Uh, but you know, there's a lot that can happen between getting it all in here, doubling up, then maybe getting another double up before the bubble bursts. And then getting into the money with an average stack. From there, I do have a shot at making the final table and, and you know getting the life-changing money. And I think that folding my way to a min cash basically eliminates the chance, whatever, however minute that chance might be now. It's going to be virtually zero if I fold and try to get into the money with just a chip and a chair. So that's just not the way I play. Uh, A few weeks ago when we spoke with Lexi Gavin, I commented to her that I think she pays too much attention to pay jumps and ICM stuff, and that I freely admit that I don't pay enough attention to those things. But I think Button versus Big Blind, holding an ace against a player who has approximately 100% opening range, I, I don't see any play other than shoving. So I don't regret it. I'm not happy about the result. He flopped a queen and beat me. Um, That sucks. But, you know, his hand isn't doing badly against ace-five. He's really only in bad shape when I have a pair above jacks or uh, a queen or a ten in my hand with a better kicker. Otherwise, he really has to call, and I won't have those hands very much. So that is how we busted out of the main event very different from last year's amazing story but still uh you know it's really about the plays we make right so i think i made some good plays in this tournament definitely love all the uh opposing viewpoints that you guys have shared with me on twitter especially those of you who have done so in a respectful tone instead of just saying, this is bad, that was stupid, don't do that, <laughs> you know, I think at this point, uh, as your podcast host, I I have earned the right to ask you guys to uh, not call me stupid on Twitter, <laughs> <So> <laughs> but being a comedian, I'm pretty thick-skinned, and I'm pretty much called worse than that every night of my life, so I guess bring it on, whatever, so that'll do it for this week's episode. Uh, for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening.
0: Let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me it. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart With her heart that we will be. While little gambling is fun when you're with me? I love it. Russian roulette is not the same without a gun. And baby, when it's loving, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun. Oh, wow oh, whoa, oh. whoa. Oh, 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 oh.